Welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things. A podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and the stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. My great aunt uh, taught home economics at a college uh, in Idaho through most of her life. Home economics, in this case, involved teaching a lot of sewing, knitting, and crocheting skills, among other things. Uh, a lot of her students came away making like a coat at the end of some of her classes, which sounded very fancy to me. Her home is filled with m- many blankets uh, that she has knitted and crocheted over the years. And she had a room filled with fabrics, sewing machines, sergers, and all sorts of material for making clothing. As kids, we would play with the fabric in this room, tying them around us to make mock Grecian robes or dresses. And as we grew up, she'd help us with sewing or embroidery projects. I made pillowcases and a large blanket that was made from a bunch of my old t-shirts. And honestly, she just spent a lot of time patiently helping us do these projects and really just doing a lot of it on her own because I still can't understand sewing instructions. And I mean, I can sew in a straight line fairly well, but... (laughs) That might be the extent of it. She also took time to teach us how to knit and crochet. I started with crocheting, but ended up knitting in the end. There are many intricate and delicate patterns that you can do and create, but as with sewing, I can knit in basically a straight line. (laughs) So I've made a lot of scarves in my day, and I love it. There's something calming about sitting and having your hands occupied with something that you can either give to others or enjoy yourself, and like you can be productive and be still. I don't know, it's just like an interesting meeting of experiences. Knitting circles were always a way for people to gather in the past and even if it's just me watching a show and knitting alone it's still got like a certain amount of warmth to it and sometimes physically because you know scarves warmth it's fine so today we are going to look at a few reasons why we can be grateful for knitting Knitting was unique among techniques for making clothing because it did not require huge equipment, like a loom. You could take two or four needles and create rather a lot. Because it was so small and compact, it was very easy to travel with knitting needles, making it essential for nomadic peoples, people on the move. Knitting creates fabric from yarn or wool. Basically, you use at least two needles, but also sometimes more, to loop and pull yarn through loops to create connected loops. Many loopings happening there. The word knitting derives from the Dutch word knitten, which means to knot. There are a couple styles of knitting and thousands of patterns and many different stitches. To knit continental is to knit with the yarn in a person's left hand, and to knit English is to have the yarn in your right hand. The oldest example of knitted material that we have are a pair of socks dating back to the 11th century found in Egypt. These socks are very colorful with an intricate pattern in different stitches. With a low heel, that means that they needed to use what is called a purl stitch. The purl stitch is a more complicated stitch, which suggests that knitting goes back even further than the 11th century. There are also other artifacts that are similar to knitting that pop up throughout history. Some are also similar to sewing. One such example is the Romano-Egyptian toe sock dating back to the 3rd and 4th centuries. It is largely believed that the origin of knitting takes place in the Middle East and spread to Europe and abroad due to trade routes. In Europe, the earliest examples of knitting were made by Muslim knitters employed by Spanish Christian royalty. Pieces of their work can be found in royal tombs and in monasteries. These include gloves and cushion covers. 
From the 14th century, knitted goods used for everyday use spread further across Europe, with evidence found in London, Oslo, Amsterdam, Newcastle, and Lübeck. Although we already know that the Egyptians had the pearl stitch as far back as the 11th century, somewhere along the way, it must have been lost in Europe because we don't have evidence of the pearl stitch resurfacing until the 16th century in Europe. It could have been a bit earlier, however, but, you know, it got lost, came back. Queen Elizabeth I also favored a number of knitted goods. About this time, finely knitted wool socks were very important to Britons, including the queen, who actually preferred silk. It was so popular that knitting schools were set up and knitted goods from England, the stockings for men, which were in fashion at the time, were sent abroad to Germany, Spain, and the Netherlands. Other regions developed more stitches, with Ireland creating the cable stitch in the 20th century. The cable stitch is used to cross layers of knitting, which can create the pattern of looking like the knitting is braided kind of on top of itself. Like those really cool sweaters, if you've seen those, I think they're cool. Think that. Knitting became very important for Scottish families in the 17th and 18th centuries as well, with families knitting sweaters, socks, stockings, accessories, and more. Here, the Fair Isles technique made for beautiful patterns. These sweaters were especially useful for fishermen of the isles because the natural oils in the wool provided some protection from the elements of fishing at sea. All of this knitting was done by hand until in 1589, an English clergyman named William Lee invented the stocking frame, the first mechanical knitting device. Queen Elizabeth initially denied Lee's bid for a patent, as she didn't like the socks that his frame made, and considered them coarse, and also worried about the prospects of her people losing jobs to this new machine. The King of France, however, Henri IV, gave Lee the financial support that he needed. Lee moved to Rouen, France, and created a stocking factory. The knitting loom spread throughout Europe, eventually making its way back to England, where the family would typically use the frame together at home to make knit goods. In 1527, in Paris, France, the first knitting union was formed, and it was an all-boys club. No women were allowed. A lot of machines that made lace were produced in Nottingham, England, in what was known as the Lace Market, and in Leicestershire and other counties. There was an abundant history of hosiery. The invention of circular knitting machines made this even more the case. The Griswold knitting machine was especially popular in homes, as it was much faster than the larger looms, and even faster still than hand knitting. The English sock machine was created by two British inventors, Griswold and Hainsworth. Knitting didn't really make the transition to factories until the mid-19th century, and knitting by hand became more of a hobby at this point. During the First World War, knitting was a large part of the war effort. Men, women, and children would knit goods to send to soldiers. The Red Cross and knitting magazines also published knitting patterns specifically made for supporting sailors and soldiers. In the 1920s, during Russia's civil wars, and just before China's civil war, Russian soldiers passed on the skills of knitting to Chinese caravan men, who would sometimes use camel hair when they ran out of yarn, to continue knitting as they were on the move. There's accounts where they would literally just, like, reach out, grab camel hair, rub it between their fingers, and kind of add it to the yarn that they had and just keep going. In the 1920s as well, knit clothing also came more into fashion, with knit sweaters in particular in the West. It was also in the 1920s that we saw knit ties come into fashion. 
knit sweaters started to be associated with specific sports, with white sweaters with colorful stripes being associated with tennis and cricket. Around this time, thanks to the Prince of Wales, Edward VIII, who would wear this style while golfing, Fair Isle knitting also came into vogue. Fair Isle knitting is a style of multicolored patterns in knitting. Prior to the 1920s, most of the commercially made knitwear was more like hosiery, socks, and underwear. But come the 1920s, royalty and even the fashion elite like Coco Chanel started to embrace a broader range of knitwear, with Vogue magazine even providing patterns. During the Great Depression, hand knitting at home also became a cheaper way to manufacture or make repairs to clothing. Over time, machine-knitted wear eventually became more popular and the more affordable option by about the 1930s. British pamphlets during the 1930s encouraged the reuse of wool from older items with the slogan, Make Do and Mend, encouraging knitters to undo knitting from older garments and reuse that wool for new garments or repairs. Knitting continued to be an important part of the war efforts in World War II as well. In the 50s and 60s, following the war, knitting rose in popularity once again with many new patterns and colors of yarn to choose from. Girls learned knitting in school. By the 1980s, however, in the West, knitting fell quickly out of popularity. Machine-knitted items became much more affordable, and knitting wasn't seen as a useful hobby anymore, but was more out of fashion at this time. Knitwear itself also fell more out of fashion, with tracksuits and sweatsuits taking over as the more popular trends. The fabric for these track and sweatsuits were still technically made by micro-knitting and then brushed on one side. But this type of micro-knitting wasn't an at-home sort of job, so even though like it's a form of micro-knit fabric, they're not considered knitwear. With these new fabrics, as well as a movement toward more casual clothing, knitwear moved from being associated with sports attire to more dressy casual clothing. With technological advancements in knitting machines as well, some saw knitting more as an art form than a necessary homemaking skill like it once was. With the 1990s came a few changes to knitting, while it was still significantly less popular than in its heyday, with the internet came the chance for hobbyists to connect and share patterns and information. Home knitters continued to keep home or hobby knitting alive. Now, in the 21st century, there's been something of a revival with DIY projects and goods. Think maybe about Etsy and other places where crafters and creators can sell and share their goods. The yarn industry has also benefited from improved manufacturing and shipping lines, giving them access to more exotic materials to make novelty yarns like yarn made from bamboo, yak, silk, and more. People have also caught sight of celebrities knitting, which also helped give some more rise to the popularity of knitting. If you remember the episode on graffiti, you can go back and find it. You'll also remember that there's a movement called yarn bombing in which people will fully cover pieces of public property, trees or bike racks or public benches, things like that, in knitted yarn, knitted patterns. Basically like a cute little covering of yarn will be covering whatever piece of public property there is. Knitting coverings around tree trunks can also be used to help prepare them against the winter. In 2006, Stephanie Pearl McPhee challenged the world to a knitting Olympics. About 4,000 people participated in this one. People have done rather a lot while knitting. While knitting circles could often be a place to share gossip and news or spend time with the community, family, and friends, if you've read A Tale of Two Cities, you know that those knitting needles held a more sinister secret. 
But outside of knitting circles and literature, people have done other impressive stuff while they were knitting. For example, David Babcock broke a Guinness World Record at a Kansas City marathon for running the marathon in five hours, 48 minutes, and 27 seconds. And he did so while knitting a scarf that was over 12 feet long by the time he was done with it. That's over 3.5 meters. Another impressive place to knit is while on stilts. Shepherds in the French land swamps would knit on stilts while herding their sheep. In 2012, another record was broken in the Royal Albert Hall where 3,083 people gathered together to knit, making them the largest group of people to simultaneously knit, and they did so for 15 minutes. I kind of want to know what they chatted about, but we don't know. Another impressive record is held by a woman in the Netherlands named Miriam Tegels, who can knit 118 stitches a minute. And another impressive record is held by Edward Hannaford of Sittingbourne in the UK, who made the longest French knit measuring in at 16.36 miles or 26.33 kilometers long. He started on it in 1989. Knitting can also burn calories. You can burn 55 calories by knitting for half an hour. It can also relieve stress and anxiety and works a bit as an antidepressant. It can prevent arthritic disease and improve motor function. So whether you happen to be running a marathon, on a pair of stilts, or with a group of friends, or perhaps just enjoying your own company and solitude, knitting can bring you a lot of benefits. And it has been a movement of function and fashion for humanity for hundreds of years. And for all the knit sweaters I've enjoyed and the scarves I've tried to make, and all the peace of mind it's helped me achieve and much, much more, I am very, very grateful for knitting. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a fantastic day. (laughs) Take care. Thank you.